Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast to digitallydownloaded.net. My name is Alan and we are host for this poddy. With me this week is Matt Sainsbury, the editor-in-chief, a man who subjected himself to something. I don't know if I call it a game, but it's something. Matt, how are you doing? Good. I, I don't know if I'll, I'll ever recover from playing Gollum, but um, I'm as good as can be expected um, from that uh, harrowing experience. Can I ask, did you get a review code or did you buy that after no, seeing the No, I bought that after stuff? seeing the... Oh, <laughs> I, I actually... I saw <laughs> Matt, that was 100 Australian dollars. <laughs> I know, 90 actually. So I got a little bit, not quite full. Oh, price. Just 90. <laughs> um, oh, but lovely. yeah, no, I, a... saw, I saw all the oh, reviews come God. in and um, the reviews were anything but positive. And I was like, it can't be that bad, right? And um, yeah, it was, it was much worse than the reviews suggested. So it's rare to yeah. find a game that is based on a property that disrespects its own property to that level. Yeah, I don't know what happened. You know what I mean? the, the weird thing was the developers not untalented. <laughs> like that was the weird the thing that really got me was it wasn't a no name worthless developer. Day Dalek is um is quite well known for mm. its point and click adventure games and has been has done a lot of really good ones. So the fact that this game turned out so badly, something went so wrong in development. <laughs> it's it's just uh I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall just to see where things went so wrong with it. It's just, it doesn't work on any level so, this game. Would you say perhaps that it is not very precious? Hey, that I made that joke in my review. That's my, my best little oh, joke shit. I've ever done. Yeah, I, I was really, really smart with that. How many because other I read your reviews review. have that done in it? Uh, everybody enough. made every, everybody made some kind of joke about preciouses because yeah you had to it was just there it was an opportunity you couldn't miss as was a it you who described the game as slimy and wet like a fish no that wasn't me that was somebody else so, that was someone uh, else that i read yeah yeah um I, I, there, there's one review out there that's like 70 and I've got to read that review eventually because I, I've I got to see why you like that game. <laughs> yeah. I've got to see what actually redeemed it in their eyes because that I'm not saying that they're, they're wrong because everybody has their own perspective, but yeah, I really You're am wrong. fascinated to yeah. know what you can see in that game because yeah, no, it's not officially they're not wrong, but subjectively <laughs> they're the most wrong. <laughs> you also may have heard him up there he's not been subjected to the legend of Gollum but he has been subjected to other legends hello Trent hello I've been playing Zelda all over the weekend and last week when did it come out two weeks ago now yeah uh, yeah two weeks ago it's an old game now. yeah yeah it's, no it's, one cares about it anymore about it, this podcast <laughs> it's it's over it's old news yeah, it's, that's not important anymore. That game isn't like making a shit ton of money or anything at all. It's fine. No, I have hot opinions on this game. Did you make big and balls flying me. machines? That's, no, that's the whole point made... of the game now. See, see I haven't unlocked... Uh, what? There's apparently a mode you can unlock, which I assume you unlock after getting all the um, the things, and then you can like actually just spawn what you make. No, that's... um, that's uh, You have to go look for it in the underground area. It's part you mean of the, the, the quest that you get. No, no, it's like you can pay Zoanite to have machines oh, that right. you've previously made spawn yep. into the game. Um, yep. It's it's part of one of the quests. Less fun. 
I mean, you just got to go into the underground. It's pretty chill down there. It's just dark. Oh, the underground's boring. There's nothing happening. It's not. I no, it's it, pretty cool. Right? Sludge and the game's all. You gotta stop sludge. walking on it then. No, even even stop like in the it. sky, it's like I'm gonna shoot sludge at you. Like everywhere in this game's all about sludge. Are you sure you haven't just gone to the underground and thought that was the whole game? Because there's only sludge in the underground. <laughs> no, but the, there's mud in the top thing for the Zoras. That's still sludge. It's not sludge. It's mud. It's still, a <laughs> I'm gross, being pedantic wet here. Liquid. <laughs> There's, there's many gross, wet liquids in this world, Trent, and be glad that sludge is only one of them. I don't want it when I'm playing my video game. <laughs> That's fair enough. Hovered. Any, any legends you've been subjected to? You've been subjected no. to anything in the recent months? I feel like I've just been taking a break from the whole discourse this month, which has been kind of nice. Everyone's been so extreme about Zelda and about um, Golem, and I've just been playing Minute Rider, which is... Basically, the T-Rex game from your Google Chrome when there's no internet, but the proceeds go to charity, which is nice. I like that. Made by the guys who made the original Minute game, which is like which is like the original Legend of Zelda, but every 60 seconds you just die and start over. It's pretty good. Oh, Minute. Is that like the, the one with the like, duck guy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that game's cool yeah. as heck. Yeah, and they made like a like an endless runner in the in the same vein, same style. Oh, I love that. Good for them. Is it it's like JWAP game? I don't know. I, I want to say... Oh, I'm never going to find out what this is. Oh, no, it is JW. Yeah, Jukio as well. It's maybe the guys who did um, Nuclear Throne, except for Rami. Oh, nice. Not Rami, Ravi. Yeah. That's a cool game. That's a great yeah. game. If you if you have any of your interest in that sort of stuff, they make very good games. And they don't waste their time, which is the important part. Yeah, they they don't pull like a, a golem and make you collect fourteen squint feathers for the village maiden in a game where you say, play as golem, oh. a character <laughs> <laughs> who is not meant to be doing fetch quests for anything other than a one ring. I will say that Gollum, one the one good thing about Gollum is it does respect your time in the sense that it's only ten hours long. I said 10 hours and never get back, Matt. It is yeah. true, but they, That's they resisted. That's why it's game of the year, because it's only 10 hours. It's a respectable game. It respects your time. Re yeah, they you can now. beat RE4 in four hours. <laughs> they, don't, um, they, they don't make it a big open world thing that'll take you 70 hours of content to get through. So that's a, that's a nice thing. These yeah, days, they that's a positive. You, they hide you in a mine. <laughs> <laughs> 70 hours yeah. uh, god what are you uh, playing I, Alan? i've been playing a lot of zelda a lot of zelda? zelda i've also been playing overwatch did you make big ball, big ball machine no so i'm i'm still exploring how to build stuff because i i basically found all the stuff in the overworld map first and then i've gone down to the mines of moria um, right and i've been trying to get <laughs> little bits to make my batteries bigger um and I've tried building a little bit, but I'm not confident in it yet, which means that I just need to practice more with it and see what I can do. But it's really fun. I think it's very, very good. It is very good. Um, it made, but... It's Breath of the Wild, but good. Well, I say, remember, I never got off the opening plateau for Breath of the Wild. I, I really did not. Yeah. 
I did not connect with that game at all. And I never felt the incentive to play on um, because I wasn't reviewing it. So I didn't need to. So uh, I, I was initially concerned with um, Tears of the Kingdom because the opening bit seemed to be very Breath of the Wildish, um, just just that kind of you know the opening tutorial island. It's the exact yeah, same yeah, thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So I was a little bit concerned about that, but um, because I was reviewing it, I had to move past that. And once I got to the overworld and stuff, I just got completely lost in it. I thought it was excellent. So yeah, it it was nice. It was nice for me as it's a Zelda fan practice. to have something that I could connect with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, for those of you who are not wanting to hear any spoilers about the game i'm not going to say anything but i love the fact they've brought back the bits of zelda that i personally enjoyed and there are there are four of them and they're pretty cool um and they've uh they've done a really good job actually making the world feel lived in rather than just like the unreal engine tech demo world that they've just placed some people in um yeah it's, it's know, pretty... it, it just feels more alive it's pretty much like um, the the best comparison I can think of uh, is Elden Ring. These are the, like the two open world games where the mm. open world actually feels like it has a point. It's not just there to waste your time and yeah. give you distance to travel to get from point A to point B. So yeah, it actually feels like the open world is a character within the game. So I haven't, you know, Eld, Elden Ring and this one are basically the only two that I can remember that do it that well. So yeah, that that was a, it was just every moment of it I enjoyed. So, yeah, good on them. Good on them and shame no, they on They made Gollum. a fun game. Shame, shame on, on Gollum. Gollum. <laughs> yeah. Shame on WB Games for releasing that in that state. It wasn't WB Games, it's Nacon. It's Nacon? It's Nacon. They're not owned... What no, the license, license the license, the license to Lord of the Rings went everywhere. So EA's got a mobile Lord of the Rings coming um nacon's gone and made Gollum. i'm pretty sure warner brothers does still have a license for it and can still make games for it but yeah it's a broad thing now um can you like, just get the license fully it's like warhammer make the third it's age. like warhammer every everybody can make lord of the rings games now if you just spend some money to get the license so lots of people do can we speaking have Speaking Lord of, of Warhammer, gun. yeah. Uh, speaking of Warhammer, I did want to mention Bolt Gun. Bolt Gun is a cracking good time. It is. I, I like it a lot. I haven't reviewed it yet. I'm not sure if I will or not because that was another one I bought for myself. But um, I'm really enjoying it. It's old school Doom, but Warhammer, which is cool. I mean, it's the only way that I would expect that world to be done properly. To be honest with you, like if there's one. The character archetype that fits the Doom guy, it's a space marine from 40k. Just the big guy who is reading a, a Bible in his idle animation and then screams at little goblins saying heresy will be purged. It, it's just perfect. It really but is. There could be nothing better. It, it really <laughs> is. So well. It really is. As like, it, a, it... as like a light Warhammer 40k nerd, that game makes me happy and I can't wait to play it in four years when I eventually buy it. Well, see, I, I'm not even I'm not even a big fan of Warhammer 40k. Um, like I'm not at all. <laughs> as far as Warhammer goes, I enjoyed the fantasy Warhammer, um, and yeah. that that's great. But 40k's never really clicked with me. But this one, you don't have to be a Warhammer fan to enjoy it either. You just need to enjoy a good quality, old school boomer shooter as such. You know that that's it. That's what it is. Uh, it does that so yeah. well. 
He's got the chainsaw. It's not to like. He does. Go, me, 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 me. And then you kill a whole bunch of dudes and then jump off a cliff like I did, which is pretty fun. That's, that's just the way of the world, you know what I mean? <laughs> Haven't we all been there personally? Harvard, I know you've killed a bunch of dudes and jumped off a cliff. Yeah, just maybe not in that order. It's a big month. And I say that every month, but it's actually a really pretty bloody big month this month. It's the month of June. Um, and by the time you're listening to this, it should be the beginning of June, I think. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of happening stuff that I'm particularly excited about. There's one game in particular I'm excited about. I'm sure that uh, Matt knows what I'm talking about. I'm sure Harvard knows what I'm talking about. I'm sure that Trent knows what I'm talking about. So we're going to have a bit of a chat about that later on. But Matt, you have the list of the video games. I do. I don't actually know which one you're talking about because there's a lot. It could but be a, a it could be a one starring a man with a name. Yeah. There's so a, it's let's... got a man and he's he's a swordsman. Oh right. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Well, we'll, yeah. we'll definitely get to that. But yeah. to start with, 
Um, PlayStation on the PlayStation this month, uh, starting with June 2. So right at the very start of the month, we have Street Fighter 6 coming out, which I believe is a game that some people will be looking forward to a little bit. And It's pretty fun. I played the beta. It's good. This the series is so weird now because of the beta. I've I've seen so much content about it. I'm like, isn't that hasn't that been out already for months and months? But is this, I guess the official launch of it, right? Yes, this is the full release and not just beta. And you can pick up a box in your retailer and then bring it home and play the full game. Yep. June two. Also mm-hmm. on June two, Shantae comes out on PlayStation five. <laughs> This is the original, oh, yeah. the Game Boy original. Um, now you can play a Game Boy Color game on your PS5. Yeah, which is fully using the power of the console to its max. But the jokes aside, it is actually a very good game. People forget that. The original Shantae was one of the better Game Boy Color games. And it is nice that it's on other things. So, yeah, there you go. You'll be able to play that on June 2 as well. So another June 2 game. We have We Love Katamari Reroll plus oh, Royal Reverie, Hell? which is yes. going to be great. Who doesn't like We Love Katamari? If you don't, you have no soul. If you... So that was the one that I played as a child because I didn't have Katamari Damacy because I couldn't find it in Australia. Um, ah. So I played We Loved instead because we had a co-op mode and the co-op mode was so good. Yes. Oh, and it was the, such a good game. The little box this art here has the, has the two the characters, monster. so I assume it is also going to have yeah, co-op yeah. mode. So that's good. Yes, get me in there. Sub me in, coach. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't like it? I mean, I, I know it's that weird, quirky game that never seems to sell well, but deserves to. So who knows? Maybe it can this time. That'd be nice. It'd be nice if it could be finally a commercial hit to go with the fact that everybody it that plays ever. it loves it. <laughs> but um, yeah, good on Sega for actually backing it forever, even though it never it- sells well. Is it a Namco game? Is it? It's Namco, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Namco. Bandai I apologize Namco. to Sega for doing the right thing. You didn't. Bandai did. Good on you, Bandai, for backing it. <laughs> so screw you, Sega. <laughs> Good on you for backing it, Bandai. Yeah, Sega, Namco. you assholes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so a couple of days later, so we're finally off June 2. We're at June 6. We've got Raiden 3 times Mikado Maniacs, which is a shmup. If you like your shmup. I love that these Just are still coming name out. it normally. It's yeah, not it's that bad. It's not that bad by Japanese naming convention. It's the X, it's the X is pronounced cross. Oh, is it? Raiden 3 cross Mikado Maniacs. Because so it's like a crossover bad. thing. I'm yeah. guessing. So Raiden 3 and Mikado Maniacs. It's not that bad, Alan. It's you can give good. this one a pass. You can give it like a sword C. <laughs> and I'll on the very... golem zero out of five <laughs> <laughs> on on the very very same day june 6 we've got diablo spy four, yeah. four which um four. i know some people are gonna yeah. look forward to i guess not really my thing i mean i, I like have no enough, faith in blizzard yeah it, it's a blizzard game and i'm kind of done with blizzard they're too naughty for me but I know there are a lot of people looking forward to Diablo 4, so hopefully that game is for you. On, moving on, moving on, we have a game called MotoGP 23 coming out on June 8th. If you like your motorbike vroom vrooms, then that one, that series has been around forever. So I'm sure that's good, right? 
if you like your motorbikes. It might be. Probably not the right I found they're like, okay. Yeah. yeah. I remember that James Swinbanks was talking about it once on Twitter, and he seemed to, like, not hate them. Yeah, he likes his racing games, so if he liked, if he gives it a thumbs up, then it must be all right. Yeah. Uh, so then we do have a little bit of a break um, until June 15. Christ. On June 15, we've got Layers of Fear, which is the new Layers uh, of Fear game uh, in that series. I know Alan's so not, not a fan of the team. It's not a subtitle. It's just the same title. It's the same. It's a remake uh, but, okay. uh, made by the team that made the medium and also the original Layers of Fear, therefore not good. I thought Layers of Fear also was the... not bad. It's not scary, though. It's sad. It's just not good. Alan, Alan has game. a Alan and I have divergent opinions on this one. I quite like Layers of Fear, I must admit. It, um, it's their only okay game. All the other games are garbage, hot garbage. The the Blair Witch Project, awful. Yeah, one of the worst things I've played in my life. Wasn't terrible. It's it so disappointing. It. No, it was pretty bad. They gave you a dog. I, I have zero faith for Silent Hill 2. They gave you a dog. <laughs> They gave yeah, you a dog, Alan, and took the dog must... away and told you to fuck off and die. <laughs> uh, you you must be really miserable, Alan, that they're the ones doing the Silent Hill 2 remake. No, you have no idea. I, I was like, Silent Hill 2, what? and Bloober Team appeared on the fucking screen. And I'd, I've never gone from like erect to flaccid as quick in my life. <laughs> it's your Froget meme again. Yeah, yeah it's literally the Froget meme. <laughs> <laughs> the Froggood is also cursed. Blooper Team is making it. <laughs> you know, the only Silent Hill remake we need is Shattered Memories. Remake. No, I agree with you. That's that's a banger of a game. That deserves yeah. a remake. What else is coming in June? Yep. Oh, yes, I've got to do more of these. Uh, on June 16, we've got F123. Thanks for being the rock. <laughs> Harvard keeps us on track. Uh, yeah, F123, yeah. June 16, which is the latest in the F1 series, of course. Uh, Codemasters, they're pretty reliable. And to be honest, I'm actually quite looking forward to it this year because this year's one should have the new Las Vegas circuit. Ooh. And Las Vegas is, like I said, it's new. It's this year's the first time they've done it. And it's actually a street race, actually on the street. Really cool. So, what? like F1 cars just on the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's happened for ages. Huffer. I don't, you must oh, not follow F1. I didn't know that. Yeah, they're, no. they're, there's quite a few street races now. It started with Singapore, I think, about a half decade ago. So Singapore is no, one. Adelaide used to have it on the streets as well when Adelaide had the F1. Yeah, back in the day. Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's become... Before the V8 supercars in Adelaide. Yeah, it's become a pretty mainstream. Or it's not... Like, a lot of tracks now, rather than build a dedicated track, they just do it on part of the, the city for a bit. Um, Singapore is mm. one because it takes place at night. They don't have room to build a track so they um they do a street race and yeah las vegas is going to be a street race on the strip so you know with codemasters and ea's money behind it that should be a pretty cool track i'm looking forward to it to be honest visually it should be cool um on mm -hmm. june 16 same day very different type of game we've got park beyond if you like your roller coaster tycoon park beyond is the new one and i've played it uh in, in preview form and it is pretty good. I enjoyed it. Making coasters in it is quite fun and easy. And yeah, it's a theme park builder. Oh, yeah. I'm loving that that's becoming a resurging genre. Yeah. Who doesn't like a good theme park builder? This one's, it should be good, I think. 
On June 20, we've got Crash Team Rumble, which is a four-by-four team-based competition. Yeah. I don't know much about it because I don't really follow Crash, but I imagine there are it's people Mario there that are looking Party. forward to Oh, it's Mario. I was going to say it was Smash, but if it's Mario Party. It's yeah, but like game. it's probably going to be crap, in all honesty. You know, it's like, do you ever play Crash Boom Bang? No. Or fucking... No. Uh, or Crash, Crash uh, on the PS1 that was made by... Not Naughty Dog. It was the shitty party game. It's probably going to be that. I, right. I have zero interest in this game. Anyone who has any taste has zero interest in that game. <laughs> okay. I'll you take the I mean? word for it. There you go. So don't That's look forward that to that one, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> don't look forward to that one. Alan has spoken. Yeah, on, no one's allowed to have fun anymore. On June 20. <laughs> so on the same day, if you don't want to pick up that thing, on the same day you can pick up Aliens Dark Descent. Is that a new Aliens or is that Ooh. a remake or something yeah it's a top-down top-down strategy game i believe what right i mean he plays a clone now. marine yeah i'm much more interested like, if that's a top-down strategy game yeah that that's all right i think it might be like a real time it, like if you ever played um like frozen synapse i think it's meant to be kind of like that oh that's pretty think, cool which yeah there's enough stuff in behind it that i'm kind of like more and more interested as i look at it but yeah I yeah. like this kind it of mixed license games that are like not your standard third person shooter adventure kind of game, but actually exploring different styles of development. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's a real time strategy, um, a squad based thing. Um, and in all honesty, Aliens as a genre, as a franchise, has been knocking it out of the park recently because the, um, the Alien game that came out uh, that was the three player Left 4 Dead sort of horde mode game was phenomenally fun. And such a good, like, budget title. So, I don't know what's going on with the Aliens license, but hell yeah, I'm here for it. Make more of it, please. Cool. Uh, on June 22, there's a little game some people might have heard about called Final Fantasy 16 XVI. Yes. So, I believe some people so might down. enjoy this game. Um, Not me. I, I, I suspect it would be better than Golem. That's that's just my prediction. I'm putting it out there. That's my big bet. It's better than Gollum. It's not going to spit in your face. <laughs> <laughs> and how, how, how upset am I going to be if it's worse than Gollum? Um, yeah, I love Final Fantasy. Always have. It's been one of those games that's been with me as long as I've been gaming. So it's had its up and downs as a series. But this one looks neat. I've deliberately kept myself on like a blackout. I haven't read any previews. Mm. I haven't seen any of the video footage. I haven't read the interviews. I know very little about this game going in because I want to be surprised and delighted by it. So I'm hoping I will be. It's crazy how many old-ass franchises are coming out because we just had Street Fighter, we just had Zelda, Katamari, Raiden, Diablo, Crash, and now Final Fantasy. These are like old-school franchises getting new things. It's yeah. like a summer in 1998. <laughs> uh, well, take me back. It, take, it costs less money than making new games. Um, yeah. Another one, it's another old franchise. <laughs> another old franchise that's getting a new release in June. Um, June 27, we've got Story of Seasons, A Wonderful Life. Actually, technically not a new game. Ooh. That's a remake. But this is the sad one, right? Remake of the best uh, Harvest Moon game. Uh, a Wonderful yeah, Life is one. the isn't A Wonderful Life the one where you got three years to save the farm or 
It's not you die. a theme park. It's, a theme park you, comes in and you, you throws you out. Basic, no, no, that's like I don't know. That, I think that's one of the others. Uh, but in this one, you basically get the farm from some old guy, and then you like live your life. You get married, you have some children, and then you're like suddenly like a gazillion years old, and you realize you're just gonna walk into the fog and die, and that's your life done. Yeah, that's the sad one. It's a Isn't wonderful all- life. Isn't that what you want out of a Harvest Moon game to die of old age? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> More than you, you think on, it, you can honestly. turn on long, <laughs> long life mode and not have to, like, you know, die. But that's the point of a game. The point of mm-hmm. a game is to have a complete life, a wonderful life. Well, I, I mean, Moon life. <laughs> a, one, a wonderful life, I'd know. I obviously don't remember playing it because I could have sworn it was the one where you had three years before a theme park came in. I'm going to have to figure out which Harvest Moon that is now. But um, yeah, I know A Wonderful Life is well regarded as this series goes. So a remake of it should be a good time. In the meantime, if you do want to catch up on your Harvest Moons, I didn't realize this. If you've got a PlayStation Plus subscription, they just dumped like all of them on PlayStation Plus. So you can play like or Harvest Moons and Rune Victories at the moment on the I really want to play that subscription. Apparently Back to Nature was well regarded and then A Wonderful Life and uh, Friends of Muriel Town came out. Yeah, like, so so Back to Nature was like the original OG. So, like, I mean, it's not the original Harvest Moon, but it was like well respected. So, yeah. Okay. Um, Too many friends. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So, so many Harvest Moon games. It's good to that the series keeps going anyway moving on uh june 29 this one's not really for me but i do know that there are some people who are watching it closely and uh have high hopes for it aew fight forever which is a wrestling good. Fight or fighting game but the thing that makes it noteworthy is yukes is creating it and yukes is the japanese developer that is well known for making a lot of really good fighting uh, wrestling games um before they got dumped by 2k yeah they got dumped by 2k and um people were unhappy about that but obviously they've come back and decided to do their own thing with a different license a different wrestling license i don't know which one aew is but that is happening it's aew that's the that's the brand yeah i know i know that's the brand i don't know what that type of wrestling is is that like extreme wrestling or something one with barbed wire it's it's wwe but without bloody vince mcmahon being a oh, pedo so that's better immediately yeah yeah <laughs> they're also gonna have a sub story where vince mcmahon sends his american character out to the mexican border to deport illegals because he's having a feud with ray mysterio right gotcha <laughs> that was a real side story so that's why you shouldn't support <laughs> wwe <laughs> anyway uh and then rounding out the month on june 30 much kind of lower tier game i guess but might be worth it to some people there's a game called spells and secrets coming out which is a game where you play a first year student of the magic arts arriving at the academy of riff griefenstein anyway um if harry potter was a little bit too turfy for you then maybe this is an alternative series. i was gonna say since it seems like sounds the, like it's pretty harry much, potter yeah <laughs> it sounds like pretty much the same concept minus jk rowling so there you go that comes out on June 30. And that is it for the PlayStation. Um, yeah. 
Moving on to the Switch. God, this is going to be a lot of scrolling. Um, I'm still scrolling yeah. through. I'm still scrolling through May. Here we go. We're at June now. We've got Hidden Bunny coming out on June one. Yeah. Bunnies. I don't know anything about that game, but it's just bunnies. bunnies. Uh, uh, here we go. So the first game of note comes out um, on Switch on June 1, which is the Etrian Odyssey Origins Collection, which is three dungeon crawlers from the DS era that have been remade for the Switch. And if you like your dungeon crawlers, you probably already know what Etrian Odyssey is, and you probably already convinced yourself to buy it. So... That's a lot of gaming. It's a lot of gaming. Those are the the first person ones, right? Yeah, we draw the map. map. Yeah, probably the best yeah. first person Dungeon Crawler series of recent they're, memory. They're in in all seriousness, they're the ones that actually brought the Dungeon Crawler back. So the Dungeon Crawler's always been around, like it's been since the eighties and Wizardry, but it did have a huge lull, um, you know, a decade or so ago. But then Etrian Odyssey came out on the DS and just kind of blew everybody away. And people got back into Dungeon Crawlers because of that. And now we get a lot of them. So Etrian Odyssey was kind of the mm. one that brought the genre back from the dead. And they are good games. They are very, very good games. As to whether it works on the Switch, where you don't have the touchscreen to draw the map, that you'll have to wait for my review for that. I am playing them now. I have got them. Um, and I will be reviewing them in time for the launch. We also have... On June 2, Super Mega Baseball 4 coming out on Switch, which is the place yeah. I'm going to... That's where I'm going to play Super Mega Baseball 4, not on the consoles, because I want to have it on the go. It is a very on-the-go kind of baseball game. And, yeah, I can't what wait. What a great game series. What a yeah, series. I really enjoyed Super Mega Baseball 3. Unfortunately, the developer has been bought by EA, and who knows what that's going to do to it. But I've got my fingers crossed that it's just kind of building on what was already great about the third one. Oh, it's such Kit a good for the, even if you don't like baseball, that series owns. <laughs> yeah. Kitten Island comes out on June three, which is good just by the name. I don't know anything about it, but it's an island with kittens. So here you go. Um, Cute. Raiden three cross Mikado maniacs does come out on switch as well on June six. So you can play it on there. If you oh. prefer that's a I'm great name. No, I love that name. I'm not certain <laughs> if it's cross anymore. I googled it. Maybe it's just X. Who knows anymore? Uh, Loop we eight. So much confidence, Harvard. It's been absolutely deluded by Japan's learning <laughs> system. Yeah, for, for what you know, it could be pronounced key, like in Kingdom Hearts. Oh, <laughs> shut up! I forgot about that. Why would you <laughs> him? On, oh, no. on June 6, <laughs> Loop 8, Summer of Gods comes out, which is a RPG that I need to know more about. It's a kind of everyday life RPG. So it's set in the kind of the real world as such, I think. Um, but... Yeah, it's been published by Marvelous. It does actually look quite good from the screenshots. I just don't know that much about it as yet because I haven't really looked into it. But I will be playing it, I'm sure, because it is an RPG. And yeah, it has pretty art. So there you go. Loop 8, Summer of Gods on June 6. On June uh, 8, 
We've got Demon Souls Incubus. Demon Souls, Demon Sword. I was so excited until you <laughs> didn't say <laughs> Demon Sword Incubus coming out on June 8 on Switch, which is definitely not an Alan game. Uh it's it's a game where is it horny? Yeah, it's horny. Clothes get it's an ripped incubus. and stuff. Clothes get ripped, Alan. It has it's actually made a yeah. bullet point of it that it has a, like a clothes destruction system. And you stuff. know what? This is a bit of a tangent. I'm really sorry. It's a bit of a tangent, but I was thinking about this game the other day. How on the third birthday, how Aya Bria would have her like jeans and her clothes ripped, but then her boots would be perfectly intact. So she still was like able to step on people. What a game. I've never seen that. A, is a, a, that is a weird a, thing to uh, randomly think franchise. about. Yeah, that is a weird well, thing. I just to think about Aya Bria regularly. Okay. I wish fair that enough. game yeah. was made by humans. And I wish release Parasite, like, release Parasite, Parasite Eve one in Australia, you yeah, literally. Release it anywhere. Just make it again. Make that game, please. Give it to me. <laughs> it's weird. I'm, this is a very significant digression, but um, on the stats for the digitally downloaded website, um, we actually do get a lot of traffic for Parasite Eve because I wrote an article about it quite a while ago. And um, it obviously does well with the Google SEO and it ranks highly. And because of that, we do get a lot of traffic. There are a lot of people searching for Parasite Eve still. It is a game that's cool as hell. Because they should really re-release it. Yeah, people have fond memories about this game and Square Enix should probably pay attention and do something about that because yeah. It I would think be good. Very slow, but they'll get there. Like Square Enix is going through what, like live alive? We're gonna, we're gonna get it. Remember, remember how they trademarked something that everybody thought was going to be a Parasite Eve, and then it turned out to be just an NFT collection. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, that, that was a good was move best. by Square Enix. Yeah, really, really classy of them. And then they sold, <laughs> and they sold all of all of Idos's materials to go into NFTs, and yeah. the NFT market collapsed. <laughs> well, they, like they, they bought some uh, magic beans. Literally, they, they bought magic beans, and they turned out to be just ketamine. <laughs> they probably still got most of the cash from that sale, so they'll just deploy it somewhere else now. Um, moving on. Yeah. On June 9, there's a game called Avia Corporation coming out, which doesn't sound like much, but I'm actually quite intrigued by it because it's um, an airline management simulation. So you start up an airline, you kind of find um, airports around the world to set up in, and then you create flight routes and need to make a sustainable business. Fun. Yeah, I actually played one of those on my phone a long time ago and really enjoyed it because it is fundamentally interesting to create an airline business and try and compete with Qantas and whatever. So yeah, it's um I'm I'm actually genuinely looking forward to this. And I wonder if it has built in uh government bailouts. <laughs> and then you can use all Stop. your Stop I was gonna make the same joke, Trent, you're a genius. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can have record uh Profits the year after COVID's over, you know, just just to say. Okay. This is also a bit of a, a digression as well. My parents were trying to come over to, uh, to the old UK to see me after four years. Uh, this was about like, you know, five months ago. They're looking at flights and it's going to cost them over 5,000 Australian dollars per person to fly from Adelaide to the UK. It's now gone down to 1.2 grand per person. Because yeah. Qantas has competition now. 
And it's so hilarious. Qantas is evil. What a horribly evil corporation. They really are. They really are. Like, like just cartoonishly evil. Anyway, Qantas sucks. Matt, what's coming out next? <laughs> yes. June 15. This is a game that is very much for me. Uh, it's called Jack Jean, which is a visual novel, but it's about theatre and ballet and opera. How do you spell that? J-A-C-K-J-E-A-N-N-E. So you actually play as a um, as a girl that got accepted into college for performing arts, but the twist is it's a boys-only college, so she needs to pretend that she's a guy. And, um, yeah, through that, she interacts with all the other guys and learns how to be a performer and it's kind of got that mix of otome and um performing arts as a theme so it's got a really lovely art style and i'm quite digging it so far i can't say too much about it. i've been playing it a bit but uh yeah it's obviously very niche but if you do like your performing arts and you do like your higher arts like opera and ballet and stuff then this is pretty much the only game that you've had in quite some time to, to look forward to this is like the like the soft and warm Otome game and not the everyone gets murdered by the mafia Otome game, right? Yes. <laughs> that is correct. Sorry, I, need to let, I need to explain what's going on in my head right now because every time you say Otome, I think you're saying Omatome. So imagine those little guys who scream when you like squeeze their sides and you like pull like little like neck thing. Uh, I'm imagining that being murdered by the mafia. I really <laughs> love that. Yeah, I don't know why that's like tickling me so much. But it's, I love it. Maybe it's an ending yeah. that just hasn't gone in yet. You know, you you fail. Yeah, we don't know. Which, we, and then you all get murdered by the mafia. We don't know if people die just yet, Harvard. But um, okay, I, okay. in theory, in theory, this is the nice version of the Otome rather than the typical Otome that gets released in the West. So there are three types of Otome that get re- released in the West. Um, there is the historical ones, which are fairly common, and they generally are kind of a mix of real history and the Otome romance stuff and whatever. Like Hakuaki and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Then there's the, for some reason, shockingly violent, brutal, horrific visual novels, which you go in expecting it to be romance because that's what it's meant to be, but then you get the bad ending and like you've become some kind of... um half mutilated prisoner in some dungeon and it's goes really dark places that's that's quite common those otomes and then there's the very rare nice one which is just a story about people and this one is that strange genre (laughs) it is a very strange genre Uh, they're very daring of them but once you get into it it is a fascinating genre i do love otome uh moving on june 15 we've got birdie wing golf girls story coming out which is yeah it's anime girls plus golf uh, uh, what not so excited that you was about birds but it was just me disease. anime girls yeah this is golf going <laughs> no, it's not... I, don't, I don't know japan's great what a wonderful country it's the frogger is also cursed once again <laughs> Uh, on June 22, we've got Valathari, Valtharian Arc 2, uh, Hero School Story 2, 
um it was a the first one was decent enough uh and if you liked it then you're probably going to look forward to the second one i'm not going to go too deep into it it's a it's a confusing one on uh june 27 we got charade maniacs coming out which is another otome game i believe this one's a comedic one um and it's yeah i i don't know too much about it but i do know that it, it is an idea factory one so it's going to have really nice art and I'm pretty sure it is a, a, an a, a comedic one here. On June 27, Story of Seasons comes out on Switch as well. On June 29, AEW Fight Forever comes out as well. And I think we're getting close to the end here with the Switch. Nope. We've got one big one coming out on June 30, which is Master Detectives Archives Rain Code. That's the latest by Spike Chunsoft. So if you like the likes of AI... Somnium Files and Danganronpa and Virtue's Last Reward. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a game in that kind of ballpark. So Those that's going to be good. Sorry? Those are very good games. Yes, they're very good games. And that one I'm very much looking forward to. Go and check out some trailers and whatever. The art in it is exceptional. And the premise of it is going to be dark and clever, I'm sure. So that's that's definitely worth looking forward to. Also on June 30, we've got Ghost Trick coming out finally. That was a wow. DS classic, and now it's finally getting good game. Switch. Yeah, it's coming back. It's coming back on Switch, so good on them. Um, I'm waiting for the Froget is also cursed moment. <laughs> and then What's the evil part? <laughs> and then finally, oh no, that's on July, so we'll be talking about that next month. So that's it. That's the full list of games. That's a lot of games, so we're There's running no out. big Nintendo game in June? No, Nintendo. Everyone's still playing Zelda. Yeah, Nintendo obviously expected... Um, Tears of the Kingdoms to to last it for a few months ahead. So yeah, because Pikmin's uh, July, isn't it? Yeah, Nintendo's not releasing anything at all in June. Hmm. They don't need to. They made their money for the year. So anyway, Alan, they legitimately don't need to <laughs> pick one game. I mean, it's gonna be Final Fantasy. I'm so excited. I pre-ordered it. I got paid yesterday, so oh, I pre-ordered nice. it. Nice. Um, I'm excited. We will be talking I'm, about I'm it. So into it. We would definitely oh, yes, be talking about be. it a lot, I'm sure, Alan. Excellent. Harvard, yeah. pick one game. Everything looks great. I'm actually, this is rare, but I'm having a hard time choosing. Uh, I'm probably going to go for Etrian Odyssey because those are very good games. And it's it's a great balance between something that you can actually just pick up and play and make some progress on. But also, if you want to just hunker down for a real session, it will support you for that too. It's a, it's so a really good series. You'll basically disappear for three or four weeks, Harvard. Yeah, I'm going to have an irrational fear of the letters FOE for the next couple of months. <laughs> those those are all like 50-hour games, at least. So there you go. You can enjoy losing your entire month to that. <laughs> they are very good games. Very, very good games. Definitely worth um, replay or and or play for the first time if you haven't. Uh, Trent, pick one game. I didn't know about all those like uh, RPG things like loop and stuff like that. So now I'm thinking of changing my answer from uh, Story of Seasons. But uh, it'll be probably one of those three. Probably, let's go with uh, Story of Seasons. Story of Seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Those are always reliable. Well, the Story of Seasons ones are. The Harvest, Harvest Moon is not anyway. No, Harvest Moon is not so yes. reliable, but Story of Seasons is. Cool. I love that Harvest Moon is an artist that's like a trap series that only people who don't know the company will buy. Yeah. I, I, I like how this yeah, always the on Twitter, that's the people who show like, 
people which are like oh I, I i like love harvest moon series i'm like and i'm like did you get like roped into like remembering like you know that harvest moon was like what they were called like 20 years ago and like i'm gonna buy the latest one what's this story of season some kind of weird knockoff series and then you get like some rpg mobile style game and uh they're disappointed yep definitely people people get caught out by that uh, story so quickly for people who maybe haven't heard of it yet who haven't heard the story yet harvest moon it used to be called harvest moon in the west um it's always been called the equivalent of story of seasons in japan but due to licensing um they had to change the harvest moon series to story of seasons in the west there is a company that still owns the harvest moon license in the west so they've made a new series of games which are basically the same concept but they're not from the story of seasons or harvest moon developer's name uh sorry the harvest moon developer so as a result we've got this series with the harvest moon on the box which is not harvest moon <laughs> and then we've got story of seasons which is harvest moon which is just wonderfully confusing for people who are not deep into that series don't you just love ip capitalism yeah it's just great right, so anyway if you ever see Harvest Moon on the box, probably don't buy it because that is not to what... <laughs> review a little bit better. But like, yeah, definitely, definitely when they first uh, the license first split like that, it was like definitely trash developer kind of stuff. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's not what you think is you're probably buying. <laughs> but if you see Story of Seasons on the box, buy it because it is Harvest Moon. Um, and then me, I, I'm definitely going Final Fantasy as well. That's my game of the month. Yeah, I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, like I said, yeah, I've been good. playing Final Fantasy for about thirty-five odd years, uh, and um, it is a series yeah, that's like nine years longer than I've been alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I've been with it's Final a... Fantasy from right at the start, and it is a series that means a lot to me. So I am desperately hoping that this game. What's What's the gimmick for this one? It's There's no. Uh, it's Game of Thrones. There's yeah, no it's like classic Thrones. fantasy. Yeah, yeah, it's a very. I think it's going to be quite dark compared to. Well, I mean, Final Fantasy always has its dark side, but um, I think this one is quite mature ages. Final it's, Fantasy. Um, it's more tactics esque in terms of tone, from what yeah. I've gathered. And the director, which I think, of it, is the best thing they could have done. the The director of it is um, the guy that directed The Last Remnant, which was a very dark RPG itself. So. Yeah, the the cutscene director is also the cutscene director from FF12, which makes me very excited. Does it have the same the one where they went on the road trip? What? No, no, that was fifteen. Does it have? Does it have the same writer as Final Fantasy um, the Seven Remake and Origins? I don't think so. so Stranger of Paradise is it the I'm same? Just writer? drafting a dream team here. I'm going to Square Enix. They've they like, got to get you, that guy. You, you. <laughs> Literally make a game for us. They've got to get that guy onto can it. Can we keep Buddy uh, Namora away from this game? Yeah, Namora, you're on the bench. <laughs> yeah, Namora, Namora, you can go sit and Namora draws many belts in this piece of paper. Well, he's he's, he's the <laughs> artist, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. Namora's the Just artist, promote whoever came up with the snowball scene for Tactics Advance and make a good game for Final Fantasy. Done. I'm I'm pretty sure Namora's the artist, isn't he? He's on the art right now. Yoshi P, 
Hiroshi Takai is the director. Kazutoyo Mahiro is the original screenplay, and he did Vagrant Story and FFT. That's right. He's a good... Yeah, he knows his stuff too. Hiroshi Minagawa is the art director. He did Tactics oh. Ogre. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I mean, the game yeah. does... The, the art makes is sense. great. Yeah. You, even from the then, limit, limited amount I've seen, the game does look good, so... Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it's uh, Ryoto Suzuki who did the combat, and they are a legend because they are the Devil May Cry. Yeah, uh, that's right. He's the Devil May Cry. Combat. Yeah, yeah. So it is definitely going to be much more yeah. action this time around. Like it, I'm it is so excited. It's going to be a fast game. So yeah, fingers crossed. It is good. And Soken is doing the music as well. And oh. oh. He did Dragon God too.
So one of the new features, um, if you've been following the Final Fantasy 16 coverage, is there is a new way that they're running uh, accessibility for story, and that is by having a little button that lets you bring up an active time law system, which tells you roughly what's going on in the scene, what the connections are, and why it's important, as well as like any other little bits that might be interesting to know about. And it got me thinking about how interesting it is that they're working on accessibility of story. And I, it made me more interested in thinking about how it could be used to improve a whole bunch of other games that oftentimes let their story get overly complicated and hidden behind means that are not the most helpful. And this leads me to Final Fantasy Thirteen because I think that game probably could have benefited a lot from that, just for me personally. But I was just wondering, are there any other games that any of you have played where a a story has needed to be more accessible in order to be understandable? So sorry, I, I mean, I, I haven't really been following. But what does the active law button do? It brings up a little, a little bit of a. It's like five bubbles maximum, and it tells you about the characters who are important in the scene. It tells you where the scene is located and why that scene is happening in that location and it'll give you like other little tidbits as well so basically oh, so it's like so it's, it's just of... it's just borrowed from the visual novel way of doing things yeah probably. because basically all all visual novels have like a, a system where uh, a key term is used in in the text and then you can actually pull up a little glossary just from you know clicking on that that term which will explain it in context and, and stuff. So, yeah, I, I think that's where Final Fantasy 16 probably got that idea from, which is neat. I think that's useful because otherwise, yeah, some games can get overly convoluted with their own lore and backstories and stuff. Final Fantasy 13 is a good example of that. I, I mean, I love that game, but it certainly required people to be fairly tuned into their... Um, literature to to get along with it um yeah and, and these are really long games as well like if you were to write out the script for most of these games i think like probably more than a million words or so right if you were to count every npc interaction every cutscene, every character thing like it's orders of magnitude larger than your standard fantasy series from a bookstore pretty much i mean it does uh, video games are a relatively inefficient way of telling the story, which sounds strange, I know, but um, they they do a game to... website reviewer. <laughs> they they do tend to um, they do tend to require more words to to convey their stories, and yeah, we, in amongst everything else, they they are a fairly inefficient storytelling medium. So, um, I think the idea of giving people the glossary or or some help to to remind themselves of what key characters are and key bits of the in-game history and whatever are, is a good idea um the thing is though most i would say that a lot of games are that simple in terms of the story that they don't really need that like for example Nobody needs a glossary in The Last of Us or Uncharted or God of War or whatever because those games are all quite straightforward and blunt in terms of the way they tell their stories. So mm. I think the the challenge is when you're trying to create a story that has complexity to it. And I guess that's why I'm quite looking forward to seeing what 
Final Fantasy 16 story is really like, if it actually needs that glossary, does that mean it is a more complex story? Um, and that would be good for me if it is, because I do like my stories to be complex. <laughs> yeah, it's exciting to see that they're, they're going for something clearly, but they're also not leaving anyone behind. Mm, and yeah. Yeah, I can name probably... so many RPGs that I, I've just stopped playing because midway through I pick it up after a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and then a character says a line, and I go, I don't know what half these words mean. <laughs> yeah, that was the issue with like um, I'm playing Lost Odyssey at the moment on my stream, and because I'm playing it once a week, th there are times where it will say something, and I will just not understand, and it will make me frustrated. And I'll feel like a dumb idiot, and that makes me feel sad. So I don't want to play the game anymore. <laughs> Which is such a odd position to take on it. But isn't isn't the yeah, point of I, that... the point of Lost Odyssey is just to collect those little stories, isn't it? That's the whole point of that game. Those stories are really really good, but because they we're are. doing it and we're doing it as a drinking thing, I, it's so hard to get invested in them because they're not narrated, and it's really really tough. Wait, Plus, how do you like, make a drinking game out of Lost Odyssey? Uh, every time that you want to stop playing the game, you drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's, there are some really bad sections of that game. Uh, I, I, For those of you who have not played it, it's pretty good overall. I'm taking the piss out of it, but it is a pretty decent game. The it's like one of the most respected terror. RPGs of all time. It is. I wouldn't say respected. Alan's, I'd say Alan's it's just not done pretty it in, well. Alan's just not playing it in the right context. No, um, it, the story it's not a game. Interesting. It's not a game for. No, I... Yes, it is not a game to be playing when drinking, and it is not a game to be playing on stream. It's a game to be sitting <laughs> down to, like a good book, maybe with a glass of red wine, but certainly not a you know shitload of alcohol. And you're meant to concentrate on it, Alan. You're meant to concentrate. No, I am. Con no, the issue is not that. The issue is you're playing the game it wrong. It's really bad sometimes. I'm playing it wrong. You're playing it wrong. I'm playing you it naughty, wrong. naughty man. But Jansen's so good. He's such a good boy. I love Jansen. He's I my favorite character in an RPG so far. He's such a fucking insane dude. It annoys me endlessly that Game Pass doesn't have Lost Odyssey on it because goddamn Microsoft owns it's the rights so for it. And that would get me to sign up for Game Pass if I could stream that thing from any anywhere in the world on my little handhelds that do the Android thing. That would be great, but they don't. Bastards. It's like that and Blue Dragon are stuck on the Xbox, and it's such a shame. It yeah, really there's a lot is. of like very good, very lost RPGs that are just languishing right now. Yeah. But going back I to wish the there point, there was a, a thing to. The yeah, Xenob... I wish there was a, a way that I could understand Chanson more and more with the dialogue. The, um, the the Xenoblade Chronicles <laughs> games could use that glossary oh, approach. Definitely, no, so yes. correct. Jesus Christ! But Xenoblade oh, Chronicles has no... a specific problem where it uses normal English words but makes them into proper nouns. So it, it's just even harder to understand because <laughs> they haven't thought about how a human being would talk. Oh god! Like, why would you call it a blade if your characters have swords? But a blade is also a thing that you summon to fight for. It's it's so stupid. It it's not. No, yeah, it, really... it, the thing is that Xenoblade Chronicles, the the trilogy plus X, all all four of them, they they're all um they're all very good narrative games, but they really are it's dense phenomenal. in their they're quite dense in their lore, and that makes it difficult 
to 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 follow along unless you're prepared to sit down and basically that is the only game you play for mm. while while you're playing it as soon as you take a break to play something else you lose a lot of what those games what makes those games quite quite special and i've i've felt that myself that for example i was playing xenoblade chronicles the original one on the switch when they re-released it to try and catch up i got to a point and then i had yeah. to go and play something else for review and whatever and yeah when i stepped back into xenoblade chronicles i was just lost i'd already played the game so many times i knew exactly where i was in the game and i already knew the kind of the general story but um uh, I, even then i was still uh, struggling to reconnect with the specifics of it so that that is a good example of a game that probably could have used the glossary or some kind of approach to yeah to make it's not that the, it's, it's not that they have to make the story simpler because i don't want that i definitely don't want the, the no. games to dumb themselves down to to try and make sure that nobody gets lost in them or whatever but i do want there to be some way especially the law heavy games the games that have you know intricate backstories and this massive world that is kind of you know fantasy and therefore not connected to the real world i definitely want them to find some way of um making sure that players can reconnect with it if they've taken a break or if if mm. there's something that they've forgotten about which you know a lot a of them struggle great with great mechanic a really good mechanic that i can't understand why it was never revisited but if anyone remembers the old fire red and leaf green Pokemon remake from the Game Boy Advance. What it what it would do it was showed you what you recently did. Yes, every time you close the oh, game, you the save little, and you turn the, it off. The little and you turn it back on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It tells you here are the last five things you did since you played last time. And yeah. I don't understand why more games don't do that when you turn it on and just go. Here's what you did last time you were here. That did that was a neat. That was a neat thing for sure. Or like something, something just to like remind you where you are and why you're here. Otherwise, you stop midway. And I think the other the other thing too is that a lot of the old games had save points, which meant that they could actually control where you started and stopped playing. And it meant that you probably wouldn't be as lost because when you come back in, there would be a cutscene or a boss fight or a town or something to kind of like fill you in on what your current goal is. Whereas nowadays, because it's autosave, you can save wherever you want, you can stop wherever you want. It now becomes more of an issue because you could just be midway through this big plot scene that the game knows that they want you to pay attention, but you're just thinking, oh, it's 11 o'clock, I want to go to bed now. Yeah. I yeah. like that a lot, actually. I do wish there was some way that it could say, like, last time on Dragon Ball Z, but <laughs> for every game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I think it, it would make it so much easier. I, I think it would allow the developers to do more with the stories too. Because I think to go back to Final Fantasy thirteen, uh, especially the the two sequels, um, thirteen two and and Lightning Returns, those games really kind of hurt themselves, be, not because they were uh, because they were they were too complex. I guess it's the which meant that a lot of people found them confusing or you know uh, didn't make sense you know that was a common thing that popped up in reviews and whatever the the narrative doesn't make sense or whatever the narrative makes sense it's just it's a really bloody hard narrative to to connect it's with impenetrable yeah and they also came out I like would a rather... trench of games critique too well like yeah, reviewers I mean, did not want difficult stories 
Well, no, what, what I'm saying is I, I would, I, I want that in games. I want games to be able to tell those really complex stories because I feel like that's important to the storytelling medium as well, that you have some mm. examples of complex stories that you've got it in literature, you've got it in, in film, you've got some examples of really complex storytelling in there. And that's important to push the medium forward, to give people things to think about. And it, yeah, as an art form, you need that. But if they're going to just completely undermine themselves to the point that lightning return sells like a hundred thousand copies or something, it was a absolute bomb of a game, despite being a final fantasy game. If you, if you're going to undermine yourself to do that, then you're not going to be incentivized to create complex stories. So uh, they do need to find a solution and yeah, this final fantasy 16 might be that solution. Not that I'm saying that that's going to be a complex story. I don't know. I haven't played it yet, but if it is, and if the glossary is the solution to that, then that's, that's brilliant as far as I'm concerned. Mm. What would you recommend genuinely? If, if someone came to you and they were like, I really want to like thematically and narratively and just worldwide complex game, what would you recommend somebody? Well, I mean, the plague is a good example of that. Plague? The plague. Pandemic. Pathologic? Pathologic. That's it. Pathologic 2. <laughs> Pathologic 2. I was just, I was just like, why are you recommending me the plague? No one likes That's the plague. Like what? three different No, you know, how, die? you know how I was thinking about that? Because the plague is like the book, the Albert Camus but, book. Yeah. And it's, oh, a, okay. it's yeah. a very good book about exactly the same thing as basically as Pathologic 2. So um, I, I see yeah. them in some of... You, know, you could do a side-by-side -side study of them and that would be a fascinating thing to well, do. A similar vibe as that as well, The Void also made by the same developers ice pick lodge the void is the most fucking insane complex shit that i've seen in a while as well yeah these these are very these are very complex and uh to their de detriment i mean i think uh, a lot of they people, are impenetrable yeah a, a lot of people would start to play them put them down after about 10 minutes and never feel the need to go back to them but they are very complex also... narratives I'd say Arcanum as well. I don't know if any of you played Arcanum of Steamworks and Magic Obscura. That game's also like got a lot going on. It's very cool, and it has a it has a lot of like very interesting little story bits that are very easy to get lost in because the world is so fleshed out. And it's one of those things where it expects you to play it multiple times, and then you'll understand everything. But mm. I don't know. That game's pretty cool for that too. And I mean, in another way, is, uh... another another example of incredibly complex storytelling is what from software from software does with all of its games these days um you don't necessarily really experience that until you're ready to start to delve into the story but elden ring in particular is a pretty complex storytelling experience um and i think that's another interesting way of doing it that uh, on the surface, it's all quite straightforward and you can play the game without necessarily delving deeply into it and still get to the end and have a good time with it or whatever. But if you want to understand Elden Ring, the amount of work you have to do is really quite um, interesting. So for me, that's another good example of storytelling. Is... The difference is with that, though, is that like Elden Ring, the gameplay is still always the focus. Whereas in something like FF13, the, the focus is not really the gameplay, I would argue. It's yeah, the story. Definitely. And because you need to sort of put the work in with 13 to understand the story, it feels less, I don't know, like less fair almost. 
I don't know. It's I don't know how to explain for me, I don't know how to explain how I'm trying to say this, but for me, for me, yeah. Um, Elden Ring was about the story right from the start. Like I never thought of it as I thought the gameplay was obviously excellent, but I wasn't playing for the gameplay. Maybe I'm in a very small minority, but I was definitely playing for the story. I think you might be in a minority that bad. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like most people who played FromSoft games, they experience the stories through like explain on YouTube videos. We watched Vadi video videos like three days after beating the game, being like, oh, that's what it was about. Yeah, they're very good videos, but like they do the role of what the, the, the catch up would be for Final Fantasy 16. I think it's, it's it's really a case of Square Enix making it in house rather than hoping someone's going to make an explainer video on YouTube of what the narrative really is. It's yeah. like you look up on YouTube, it's like, oh, yes, it was actually about capitalism and like, you know, murdering the, you know. It always was about like, capitalism. Everything's about capitalism, Trent. Yeah, let's talk about sure. a good from software game, L the Lost Kingdom series. I'm fairly sure that was very story driven and very confusing. If I'm remembering correctly, it was like very text heavy and not really. The no. Lost Kingdom series. No, I've, was I've, I've was that. I went through. I went through Lost Kingdoms um, one actually not that long ago on Fire Emulation, and no, it's not really. I played yeah. two first, though. That's it's not. The it's not very narratively <laughs> complex. Um, it's actually quite level designed, and yeah, it's. I. I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say it was a complex narrative. Good games. But, also, yeah, we have to consider the difference between like a deep narrative and a complex narrative. A deep narrative yeah. is one where like thematically there's a lot of different things going on, and you can discuss it a lot. But a complex narrative is one that just has a lot of information that you need to take in before you can truly understand it. Um, any kind of narrative where it has a lot of different named characters, named places, named like scientific laws, if we're getting very complex, like. Yeah. I mean, a good, a good example of that would them. be the, the eldest Elder Scrolls game. Or the, yeah. The, the Elder Scrolls games. Yeah. Um, they're all very deep because you can end up with like an entire library full of books, which have history and lore in them and but um, none of them are relevant but yeah, like yeah the core I mean, narrative is very very simple yeah it's not very complex uh it, it's quite deliberately very uh uncomplex to to go through so yeah that that's a good example of that i mean dragon age is another one mass effect most i, I would say uh, i don't want to kind of generalize yeah, western games people. are pretty simple not western games but western rpgs i feel um they're all they they lean heavily into the depth because there's a lot of writing in them uh there's a lot of kind of that's kind of storytelling but yeah they're not complex they're not thematically uh particularly thematically rich they generally have one or two kind of core ideas and, and kind of stick to that whereas the japanese games tend to be the other way around they tend to be fairly philosophically dense but um they don't have books and books of law to unlock or find as you go and kind of play and funnily enough, I actually used to find that annoying <laughs> in a sense. I, I, I wanted, because I, I like to read the Skyrim books. I, yeah, no, I like to collect the books in Skyrim and Morrowind oh, and whatever. The, the Brian and... David Gilbert video where he read every book <laughs> and went insane. <laughs> I, I actually, I really like that. I do like that. So I, I do like having my library. And whenever I play one of those games, I'm always looking for books to steal and or buy. So you're who but, therefore. But 
then I would wish I, there was a point where I was wishing that those kinds of things were in the Japanese RPGs as well, because I felt like it was missing from them. Uh, I've since come around on that. I don't think you've not they played Eternal all, Sonata. But... No, I have not played that Eternal Sonata. Don't. It's really bad, but it's great. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I don't think that anymore. But something like Xenoblade Chronicles or whatever um, is kind of the opposite. It's very complex philosophically, but not particularly deep in the law. I disagree. Oh no, Matt. The lore is deeper than you could possibly imagine. No, it's, it's not that. A it's nightmare. The lore doesn't. Do extend... you know about the guy Klaus? Yeah, the the lore doesn't extend that far beyond what the events of the game are. You know, it's not. No, I hard disagree does. on that one. No. I hate it's the, the hardest disagree. Some no. of them are like this character has this sword and he says this line when he fights you, and that's plot significant because of an event that happened two games ago. Yeah, within the games. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like they're quite self-contained. Whereas like no, like, again, Skyrim, Skyrim, Skyrim has like a, a book that you'll find that'll be talking about a story for a game that's never, you know, that, that's never going to be turned into a into. Oh, a game. I kind of see what you mean. Like it has yeah. additional information for things that aren't immediately relevant to your quest. Yeah, it's like the idea behind Skyrim and whatever was to use those books to create a world that was beyond the experience of you as the player or the character in it whereas most japanese rpgs and i do include the xenoblade chronicles games in that they're more focused on what happens to the characters in the party uh, and the the world building occurs through purely through their experiences so there's not like the sense of there being stuff outside of their their journey that's really interesting i've never thought about it that way but you're exactly right now that i think about like every final fantasy game with crazy deep narratives nothing outside of the actual main character's story matters at all to this world i mean final fantasy 13 is the ultimate example of that right you've got two massive you've got two worlds like final fantasy 13 occurs across two worlds and in cutscenes, there you know you're seeing huge cities and the you know the 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 world below has is meant to be like this this kind of ancient place and whatever but the entire game is what those yeah. six yeah. characters what those six characters experience and that is all you see in it so you don't get a sense of what's happening outside of their journey and um yeah it, i'm not saying that's a good that or bad thing it's I just a like different it. approach it might be it may well be why you didn't connect with yeah it, it's genuinely like why what about the the lucy that don't fulfill the falsies wish and the game just like who gives a shit well, like in Final Fantasy, it's like what happened to people in Midgar after Cloud left? And the game's like, who gives a shit, right? Like, who cares? And it, it they means crushed that, by the fucking plate. It means Die. that with those games, <laughs> it means with those those games, whether you like them or not, depends entirely on whether you like the characters, because the characters are mm -hmm. everything. You know, that is the pure storytelling mechanic. Whereas with something like most Western RPGs, you don't need to like the characters really. Is that you don't have a character, or like you have, your main character yeah, is a blank slate. It's, it's you, yeah. yeah, exactly. You, what you need to like with those games is the world that they're in. That is everything. So, a good example of that is Mass Effect. I mean, you, with oh Mass God, Effect, right. the original trilogy, I loved because I loved the the universe that they depicted and exploring those those spaces was um, the experience for me. Mass Effect Andromeda, I absolutely hated because nothing about that world building really appealed to me 
But is Do that what makes the Western because of the influence? Uh, sorry, go for it. Oh, I was going to ask, do you, do you think that makes the Western games easier to understand then? Because you experience the world as effectively you and the world's details are relevant to you and your quest. Whereas the Japanese games, you're reading about someone else's story. And so you need to be engaged with that person and you don't feel it happening to yourself. I think so. I mean, I think the the great thing about Western RPGs is you do get placed directly into the experience um and, and therefore by going out and learning about the world you're kind of more organically taking the information in whereas mm-hmm. a lot of japanese um rpgs are, are much more about they're, they're more like sitting down to read a book where it's there there is a kind of a, a distance between the player and the experience um and whether you connect with that or not really depends on or whether you like the game or not depends if you can connect with, with um, the, the, the storytelling medium that they've used. So yeah, but even like the it's more abstract. Things. It, it's much more abstract, I guess, is what I'm saying. The, the idea of most Western RPGs is to be more real and grounded. And the idea mm. of kind of Japanese RPGs tends to be to, to be quite abstract and be literary in approach. Do you think then that the impact of D&D on early Japanese RPGs, do you think that's what's caused that? And like the dynamics of like having the important people being the party members, it, it, do you think there's a link between that? Yeah, it's kind of fascinating, isn't it? it for, because remember back in way, way, way back when, um, yeah, the, the fundamental differences between Western RPGs and Japanese RPGs is basically Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest versus Wizardry, right? And yeah. right from those days, you could see the the different approach to bringing Dungeons and Dragons into the video game medium. So the Japanese saw it hmm. as a storytelling experience, right? So Dungeons and yeah. Dragons was about telling people a story. And then you would get your characters and they'd all be named, um, at least after the first examples of these games. But you know, from the second ones on, they'd have names, they'd have characters, they'd have personalities, and it would be about being pulled through that story whereas the wizardry or the western side of these things was all about you taking control of your character yeah Yeah. and and that was all that was important your direct control of the the space that you're in so yeah it's really fascinating that in one you play as the dm and the other you play as a character yeah in a way yes yeah, exactly. well, one you play as a character, and the other you watch someone else's campaign. Yeah, that's probably the better way of putting it, I would say. Okay. The interesting little design changes between different. There, cultures. there would be that's a fascinating cool. study in there for some PhD student at some stage about why the Western developers, you know, approached the RPG the way they did versus the Japanese, and kind of the the different cultural um, reasons yeah. for that, because. Yeah, probably there, also like capitalism some... comes into it as well because the Western companies actually license the original character creation methodology in their games, whereas the Japanese games didn't try to make their own kind of character creation. They just went with you have a character. You're playing as Furion. He sucks. Sucked in. <laughs> <laughs> Any game with a character creation is usually going to be like a very weak world building game experience i usually find like it's all about centered on you've created this character 
the what you're gonna like experience the world through that and i usually find that they're very frustrating like i didn't play final fantasy online or whatever it was because i basically spent like an hour in the character creation going what is it trying to what make me want do i want to be this class do i want to be this character do i want to do these customizations because I'm like, what experience will actually give me the best experience in the game rather than saying, okay, well, here's a character, you can experience it and here's the story elements dropping in. It's more like, oh, well, I've made a character which is like an orc who's like two feet, who's like going to like, you know, cast magic spells and has giant boobs, but all of a sudden like, that's like a horrible experience. <laughs> like, this, that, that's... This. There's I an think interesting, you just don't like MMOs, Trent. There, there's an interesting <laughs> example of that. Um, the Neo series, which is two games. One of them, mm. the, the original Neo is a named character. You don't get any control over his design or whatever. It's William Adams. Samurai. Yeah. yeah Sam, Sam, Samurai Bill. And then in the second one, yeah. they go to character creation. So you create a character and then that character is placed in the world. And the difference in what it does to the storytelling is really interesting because with Neo 1, the, the developer knows exactly what your character is, right? And that yeah, in cutscenes and interactions, they're talking directly to William Adams and there there is that kind of experience where he is, he is I mean, the character. Whereas with um, Neo 2, you it's all very passive because they don't know who that character is. So it's like the events are happening all around that character and it because they can't address that character directly. Yeah. if that makes sense so yeah it's definitely it changes the tone of the story and the approach that I, they need I to take to tell in that games, story especially western ones they're very meme based like things like saint row it's like it's all about how you know horrible is your character gonna look or how much like crap you can jam into it to make it a hilarious experience so then the game is built around you're gonna make a character which is just a giant laughing meme for the streamers rather That's... than an, an engaging like story that's what um who someone youtuber mentioned this might have been from a guy knows about how the more outlandish your character creation allows you to be the more the game becomes you playing it rather than actually telling the story the game wants to tell it becomes kind of the player being forced to bend or the game being forced to bend itself to the player's will the game needs to accept whatever the player tells it to do rather than the game itself telling the player, this is the story I want you to tell and this is what I want you to focus on and, and enjoy. And perhaps it also leads into the difference too. It's, it's like, always, a, it's it's kind of seeding control. The more the developer seeds control to the player, the less the developer can do. It's the same issue with kind of open worlds, actually. Hmm. Um, the more open you make the world, the less you can be sure what the player is going to be doing in that world. So the less you can actually do to that player with that world, which is why... Um, you know, uh, Elden Ring and Tears of the Kingdom are kind of so fascinating examples because they find a solution to that problem. But the basic problem that open world games at Ubisoft and EA and all the rest of them find is they 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 can't tell a good story because they can't be sure what the player is doing at any point in time. So I think that's what the what Final Fantasy Sixteen is trying to resolve with this law thing is it's almost suggesting we're not going to bend anything to the player's whim. This is how our story is going to run. Yeah, yeah. It's and kind we of will like, not, like, we will not bend to you. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like, it seems to me, like you say, that 
they're, they're, they're saying, look, we're not going to compromise the story. We're going to tell the story we want to, but we're going to make it easy for you to keep up with what we're doing. Um, and that's, that's a good thing as, as far as I'm concerned, I, I would like for developers to be able to control the story more. Um, it's because why I feel... the original watchdogs was the best watchdogs because it was less about tuba oh, that's so wrong. Z crap. That's so... <laughs> it, it was, it yeah, was, no, watchdogs Watch Dogs is a really good example of a not good open world game. All it did trend. wrong was have a mopey guy during the time where everyone's like, I don't want games which are all about mopey, depressive, and like murdering people. That's like the only reason why it was shit. It's like no, mechanics, it's, it's how it leans into the story, way better than the other three games. Trent, Trent, I played the entire thing of Watch Dogs. I cannot remember a single story beat of that game. That game There's is not a good narrative. You're like, you're like, you feel like a deadbeat <laughs> dad, and you're like, you fuck up, and like, yeah, yeah like it. There is like only some... one scene. There is only one scene in Watch Dogs I remember, and it was like you went out into suburbia and went into a house, and I kind of remember what you did in that house. Whether you killed people or people were already dead, one or the other. Well, so, that's the choice. You could kill people. You could not. You could save them. That that was your whole rampage. You didn't have to be on a rampage. I. Yeah, that's not a good story, Trent. It, it's, it it's a good example of. It's a good example of really bad storytelling in video games. I'm sorry to to just kind of. No, if talk I over did you here, Trent, my no. from so many years no. ago, I would have been able to show you that it's a good conceptual game. And that it was the best watchdogs. No, it, there might have been a yes. seed of an idea in there that might have been interesting, but no, it's a no. Ubisoft the game game. No, no. it, it is. Watchdogs two at least they tried to do stuff. No, it was like YouTube generation suddenly like leaked into the game. It's everything Ubisoft. Why is that a bad thing? It's it, it is everything sense. Ubisoft was doing around the time where it was like for the gamers and for the streamers like bullshit into their like marketing strategy and that was leaking into their games and causing this like horrible experience where it wasn't really for the gamers like that that is like it, it just was nothing ubisoft nothing ubisoft has, nothing were. ubisoft has ever done has been for the gamers everything ubisoft has ever done has been for the profits no 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 don't you remember when e3 no, happened i don't and remember they were all sad and they were like we're gonna be bought out and like everyone sympathized <laughs> with them and it was great that Trent, was like uh, i'm great... really sorry <laughs> I love that you're trying to like win this, but my guy, I'm, I don't know if you can. I'm sorry, Trent, but no. And then, like two years later, it got pulled out. Like all this shit that Ubisoft was doing, horrible, and like you know, maybe they should have been bought out by like that TV company. And Ubisoft is the golem of video game developers. <laughs>
So, of course, with the release of Tears of the Kingdom, a lot of discussion we've had recently about what we expect from a sequel, what we want from a sequel. And I think you can either go down the Tears of the Kingdom route or you can go down the complete opposite route, um, which I will explain in a moment. But what we've done with Tears of the Kingdom is it's doubling down on everything that worked and then adding more stuff. Or you can go down the Jack 1, like Jack and Daxter 1 to Jack 2 route, which is to do something completely different that is barely even resembling the original game but still be of decent quality and it actually begs an interesting question because i thought about this a lot as well because i was thinking about chrono cross and chrono trigger and people who didn't like cross because it wasn't chrono trigger 2 and it's this idea of if you order you know it's a soup and someone gives you like a, a piece of bread are you allowed to be upset that the that it's not what you ordered initially so i think it's a, a bit of an interesting question is like what do you expect from a sequel and what do we want from sequels just in general matt what would you want from a sequel to a game that you enjoyed yeah i mean i i don't mind either way i guess in the sense that all i kind of care about is is the is the game good <laughs> um i mean i know that's a that's a, a a fairly simple standard to expect but really i'm happy for a game to be a continuation of an existing story you know direct uh, continuation with exactly the same mechanics and all of this keep keep a lot of the material the same as long as you know it's a worthwhile addition to the story i'm also happy to play a sequel that is like totally different and, and tries things that are that are wildly different um i guess like the the tears of the kingdom discussion has been interesting to me because the one criticism that i have really seen from multiple sources is the fact that um the the base world is the same and a lot of people didn't feel the inspiration to explore what they'd already explored in breath of the wild which wasn't I, I, an, i'm like that i which, i, I don't really want to explore tears of kingdom and i'm not really like as, as you say it's more lived in but like i'm like not really wanting to explore and find those little added in bits and pieces like i just want to do the main main game like it and the rest of the add-on bits like the sky and the ground so far everything i've done is just like it just doesn't feel as coherent as the actual main overworld and then because of that i don't want to explain explore those other two places because i feel like the overworld which we've already been on the changes to that are more coherent to what the other two bits and pieces are so yeah yeah i mean i can't comment because i haven't played breath of the wild um but i uh in theory i would have no problem returning to the tears of the kingdom world again for a third one if there was a third one and, and being in that position where i'm going through the same kind of overworld i i would think you know if, if they changed it too much it, the, the the zelda series has this issue where if, if they change things too much they don't really feel like sequels anymore to, to previous games they have the final fantasy effect where ocarina of time for example doesn't have the same feeling as wind waker or whatever they they don't feel like they belong uh, they're, they're not direct sequels to one another so the fact that with 
Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom, they actually decided to make it an explicit sequel um, was was interesting to me. If I had to play Breath of the Wild, I don't think I would have minded exploring it again for the purposes of the sequel for what they were doing with that concept of the two games back to back. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to think of an example where sequel changes things considerably. <laughs> um, well, I mean, a good example, I guess, would be Xenoblade Chronicles. Um, we were talking about that there. The the sequels are all connected to one another in terms of the narrative, but Xenoblade Chronicles 1 and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 have significantly different feeling to them. Um, they are vastly different games, yeah. So even though they are connected in terms of the narrative, the experience of playing those is different, and I didn't mind that either. So I can go either way depending on how they execute on it. And uh, another good example is... Um, the Dark Souls series, those three games are all connected, but even though they share some kind of the, the mechanics of how they play, the, they feel substantially different to play and um, kind of take place in a different place and time to one another. So, yeah, um, I'm happy for either way, really. I, I guess there is the potential, I guess, for uh, games that are too directly similar to the ones that came before the the big problem that I see with that is for people who didn't play the original, is it possible to step into the sequel? If you're going to make a direct sequel with the same characters, the same world and same mechanics, if you are you essentially assuming that people have played the first one? And if so, you're kind of limiting yourself in terms of the audience. Yeah, uh, it's... It's interesting because you, you don't want to isolate your existing fan base, but you also don't want to just make a game for only them. Well, that's the thing. You, so you kind of it becomes a point of diminishing returns. And you know, uh, Final Fantasy Thirteen is a really good example of that. You can't play Lightning mm, Returns it's... without having played the previous two. You really need to have played Final Fantasy Thirteen, then Final Fantasy Thirteen Two, before you even think of stepping into Lightning Returns. And I think part of the it reason the that one piece issue. Yeah, I, th I think the problem with Lightning like Returns and, <laughs> and the reason it sold so poorly was because Square Enix was basically saying, well, this game is for existing fans, but the existing fan base was kind of whittling away from the first two games anyway. So by the time you got to the third one, the core audience that was left was quite small. So there is always that risk if you're going to make direct sequels that you're only going to be able to appeal to existing players. Another example of that is the Atelier Riser series. And the Atelier series kind of does both, where two games might be... The, the, the games tend to change cast and gameplay style and everything dramatically from one to the next. But then the, sometimes they do direct sequels. So the Atelier Riser series is a good, good example of that, that you've got three of them. And the third one assumes that you've kind of played the first two, which means that it probably didn't sell as well as the first two because you're always going to lose some players and if you're not going to pick up new players in the process then the audience size is going to be smaller so there is that commercial risk i guess which is kind of unique to video games i don't think film has the same problem um but yeah video games definitely have that challenge that you're asking a lot of time from players 
And uh, if you're asking them to play entire games before they can step into a new one, uh, the the question of whether it's worth it or not becomes a, a big issue. Yeah, and there's too much to invest in it. That it's it's so daunting to even try to understand it. Um, I think there's a there's more of an issue with that narratively than there is with gameplay, because with gameplay you can always teach a player like in a tutorial, but with narrative you have to have read or experienced or viewed something for let's be real here in terms of video games hours upon hours so i don't know for me a good sequel should always add something without taking away the soul of what made the last one good mm. i mean i think and a good I example use, of... i use jack and daxter and jack 2 for that because while they are vastly different games they still share this similar sort of like spirit behind them you can still like get the same sort of game feel but it's just recontextualized in a grand theft auto game game and feel. i think that's really interesting yeah it's it's hard for me to describe it i'm sorry game it's the worst descriptive I, hate language. That term. I hate that term i know <laughs> it's just such a clumsy term but i and, think and the other thing as well is like games where there's like a direct sequel and it requires a lot of prior learning yeah is like a lot of people don't finish video games especially really long like 40 up to i mean 40 is probably a tame amount of hours these days like you know games which are 200 hours long sort of thing and if your game if most people are dropping off around hour 80 or hour 40 and then some of your sequels like you need to know everything which happened in hour you know 180 to 120 sort of thing from the last game to like understand this game completely, it's not really going to be a coherent experience. And something that made me quite giggle actually, in the beginning of the Tears of the Kingdom, where you have full stamina bar, full hearts, and I want to know how many people actually had that. <laughs> like at the end of Breath of the Wild, how many people actually had their link be at full hearts and full stamina? Because I doubt that it was more than like five percent. I, I, I miss oh, the days where you could do you could do save imports, like you could transfer your character over from one to the next. Those were the days. Oh yeah. Back on well, the PC. Brought brought your horses. So if you all your horses are across in, in the sequel. So you can like mm. you know, I've got opponent from the amiibo, so you know, I've got that. That's fun. But um yeah, I mean you you, you have a good point there, Trent. I guess I guess if you're going to do a direct sequel, then your goal needs to be to either explain things to the player, to a player who hasn't played the originals in a very succinct way at the start, or um, just make use use the same characters, but make the the plot so separated from the original that it doesn't really matter. And I think probably a good example of that. I didn't think it was particularly, I don't think they're particularly good games, but um, the Horizon series was pretty effective with that in that if you hadn't played the original Horizon, then the sequel's opening chapter did a decent enough job of catching you up on what had happened and then also then throwing you into a completely different space. So the plot of the original wasn't particularly relevant to what was happening in the sequel. So well, I think like the Tomb Raider games, like Tomb Raider does that. Like every, every one in that Microsoft series was sort of like, 
you know, still really linked together, but it was like, here's a completely different plot. Well, another good example of that is the Uncharted series. You know, you don't need to have played any particular Uncharted to pick up any of the other ones. Uh, they still have the same character, Mr. Drake, but um, and the same basic gameplay mechanics, but they're all kind of succinct, separated stories from one another. So, um, yeah, it's kind of like, I don't know, like the, the Indiana Joneses, I guess, that you don't necessarily need to have seen any of them to to watch any of the other ones. It's kind of the same with Uncharted. So, yeah, it, it's definitely possible to keep using the same characters and the same basic gameplay mechanics without having to make a direct sequel that people need to have played the original to, to be able to play the sequel. And I think I think that's really the, the biggest problem is when you do that, when you just assume that people have played a game beforehand. Well, all those games you mentioned, they all got one thing in common, especially with like stuff like Indiana Jones, is their big core mechanic is exploration. Like you're needing to explore and learn about the game once you're basically comfortable with it. So you're sort of learning and picking up what the game wants to tell you anyway. Yeah, yeah. They're all take place in different spaces. So the fact that you're exploring a space for the first time, you know, doesn't necessarily rely on having explored the previous spaces. Yeah, well, um, I could say something I, like... Tears but there's of, something to also... Yeah. I, I was going to say... There's something to that, though. That same sort of space, and it doesn't really... Like, if, if for example, it, it, like, as much as I hate it, like, you don't really... Like, it's sort of, like... You, you learn things from either game. You don't really need to know a lot from Breath of the Wild to get Tears of Kingdom. Like, it works that way as well. Yeah, I mean, using different abilities, having different abilities in Tears of the Kingdom was probably a good idea. Because... I miss the bombs, though. I really want bombs back. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because that meant that people who hadn't played Breath of the Wild um, weren't at a disadvantage because everybody was learning the new set of skills from the start. Yeah, I think mechanically it's, it's a lot more like flexible because you can explain why a character has new abilities, but you can't explain why they don't remember the stuff from a 40-hour adventure that happened last year in their own timeline. So I think that's, again, that's kind of where I, I've really enjoyed Zenblade Chronicles 2 and the DLC behind it because... The DLC was originally meant to be part of the main game, but they turned it into a prequel instead. Um, and throughout the whole main game, you're constantly told stories about why, you know, Torna was important, why this was important, why that was important. And it's made very, very clear that this was a defining feature of this world. And it's not necessary to the main game at all, but it is a sequel to Xenoblade 2. But it's also like its own thing. And I kind of really like that. Because gameplay wise, it's very, very separate. And I would say better than Xenoblade 2. Um, but it's not it's not limited by anything that we don't already know. To the point that you could play Torna 2, uh Torna without having played Xenoblade 2 quite comfortably. Because it is so self-contained. It's a pretty short, straightforward story that isn't trying to you know, be massively 
you know, different to the rest of the series. And it's still easy to, I guess, explain. Because all you really need to know is that there's a guy who's evil and go get him. And that's pretty straightforward. If you wanted to, and if you wanted to really delve deep into it, you could in your own time. And the game kind of respects that. And I kind of like that a lot because of it. And it's the same thing that I think um, is actually done really well with, uh, this is going to sound insane, with TF2. <laughs> because uh, Team Fortress 2 has a lot of stuff as a sequel that is related to Team Fortress 1, but it's so just not, it, it doesn't make it a problem if you don't know it. It's still like, oh yeah, you're still playing an online game. Every, everyone got the orange box. Everyone played Team Fortress. Who played Team Fortress? <laughs> I played the mod on Half-Life. No, everyone was playing the good games, like Unreal Tournament and like, you know, those sort of play. You didn't like the Australian modding scene. That's all I need to know. <laughs> Robin Walker, tell you, you making a banger game. One, one example of a sequel that I really did enjoy and i've kind of appreciated it more and more in the years since is final fantasy x2 10 2 um yeah i really the love the really good i really love the way that they use that as an opportunity to show a different side of the characters same characters but put them in a different situation show well firstly because final fantasy 10 was such a long kind of journey and you know, you, you really connected with the characters and the world itself as well, you know, did a good job of presenting a really interesting world and the the events were particularly dramatic. So I really liked the opportunity to see the aftermath of that in Final Fantasy X-2, yeah. which was great. But more importantly, I, it was a really good opportunity to see different side of these characters uh, and, and see um, the, the consistency between the characters was still good. They were still the same characters, but you did see what they were like in a situation outside of the plot of the original. So I thought that was yeah, a really wasn't clever... this impending threat of like death. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you know, the kind of the, I mean, the whole point of Final Fantasy 10 2 was that organized religion had basically faded away because to, to a great extent, because the people realized that the organized, the, the church was essentially very evil. Um, and then oh, it was kind of, that coming. It, it was kind of replaced with, pop culture, you know, uh, and, and there was a commentary in there about you know, the, the the real world as well. That was kind of the point of it. But yeah, these characters are now in a world in which pop culture is, is kind of the dominant religion as such. And what that did to, you know, them and the world around them and all of that kind of stuff. It was a really interesting way of having a, a kind of com compare and contrast between the two games. And I liked that, that you had that consistency of the world and the characters but you use the sequel as a way to look at things from a different perspective. So um, I yeah. can't think of too many other examples that have done that. Um, this is probably really bloody hard to do, to be honest with you. Well, yeah, it certainly requires a lot of uh, creative thought that, you know, video games are meant to be an art form. <laughs> There's meant to be artists working in the video games. You'd think there'd be a, a few more creatives out there. You did but, just play Gollum. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it's true. I did you know just play Gollum. You know interesting, based off like what Matt's trying to say, is like, uh, say, for example, I'm going to use Zelda as an example. Say, for example, you didn't do the Terrytown side quest in Breath of the Wild. What if, like, as a major change, you get into Tears of Kingdom, the couple is across your save, and you go to where Terrytown should be, and it's just not there. 
and that whole area, like all the mechanics and ideas around that section in Tears of Kingdom are just completely different because you did not build Terrytown in the original game. That would be fun. That would change the game that much, though, like realistically. No, well, I mean, it would Zelda... be like a fun mechanic. Like a Zelda, a, a Zelda example of that would be Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask because remember, Majora's Mask is an actual sequel to nothing Ocarina of Yeah. But again it kind of it takes the same character and the same world as such but puts it in a very different space and through doing that we get to see a different side of the character and that's uh, that's what i like with sequels is the opportunity to to continue not just the story but also to use it as an opportunity to look at things in a different way. And I think that's what a lot of developers miss, that too often a sequel is just a continuation of an existing story, uh, a new chapter as such, whereas I think the better approach to sequels is to use them as an opportunity to challenge and kind of um, think differently about the world. And I know it's what not about a... games like, say, Persona 5. Like, it's not necessarily a sequel, but the big thing was that DLC, that section, second part where they re released the game, was essentially like, we've done so many changes. All the people which played Persona 5, you want to play that new version. Like, what about games where that is the core idea that it's not necessarily a sequel, but a re release? And it relies on people having, because it's such a short time up later, they relies on people playing the original game to sort of carry across to the new game. And then, like in Persona, Persona 5's case, I don't really think all the added extra bits really justified playing the you know 200 hour game or whatever it is these days to experience that. But what if a game did that successfully and said, okay, well, we've done all these changes and mechanically and story wise, you're going to experience the the game in a whole new way because these are injected in parts which you played before i don't think persona 5 is a good example of that i mean i think that was done for reasonably cynical reasons what probably happened with persona 5 was the development time meant that they had to release the original as it was but they had all this material that they wanted to use that they didn't get into the original release because of timelines and then they saw the opportunity to do the royal version and add that in so it, I, I feel like that was done for fairly cynical reasons. But to your point, a good example of that, what you're talking about, would probably be Final Fantasy VII Remake or Stranger of Paradise as well, where they're not technically sequels, but they're, um, they're, a, they're a, a response to the original. So Final Fantasy VII Remake is not a sequel to Final Fantasy VII, but it is a game that uses Final Fantasy VII in a way uh, that... It reworks it in a way that means that it's also not, a, I mean, calling it a remake is probably incorrect, I would say. It's more, uh, um, what's the best way to put it? It's Remastered. really just a subversion. Really. It's a subversion of the original Final Fantasy VII. They, they really do challenge a lot of what happens in Final Fantasy VII within the context of the same story. So I see them as almost um, almost like a Final Fantasy X slash kind of comparison, compare and contrast, where you've got the same characters, and in this case, the same kind of overall story, but the 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 answers or the the, the way that you engage with it is is fundamentally different. So yeah, that that's a good example of that approach that you're talking about, Trent. Um, 
but yeah, that's even less common in video games. I can only think of those two, Final Fantasy VII and uh, Stranger of Paradise, that have done things that way. Most of the time, a remake is just a remake. It's not really a a pseudo-sequel. Yes, a cash grab to take all your money. <laughs> yeah, for the most part. I mean, we, we can never forget that the the fundamental driving reason for a sequel is the original was popular enough and sold well enough that they see money, 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 money. They see money in doing another one. Um, And in the video game industry, unfortunately, those things tend to get pushed even further to the point where people get sick of the original and then stop being fans of the whole thing. So yeah, there, there is an era of games where remakes and remasters are certainly happening a lot sooner than what they used to be. Like back in the day, it used to be, oh, okay, we're going to remake this game. It came out in the eighties or it came out in the nineties and it's now like 20 years later. Now it's like, it's a new generation. Oh, actually not even a new generation sometimes. And it's like, here is the same game you played like at the beginning of the generation. Like, and oftentimes it's either remastered just, faithfully to it for no point at all it's turned into a games as a service game where it's a downgrade in terms of what you actually get like things like overwatch 2 it's essentially overwatch 1 but more games as a service for no reason at all and then you've got like other games where they are starting to put more elements into it and remaster it in a way that's retelling like you know your final fantasy uh so it is something which is probably going to become more common and the yeah. other one of the example is the, the Capcom Resident Evil remakes, where they make it more consistent, more coherent, and I kind of like that a lot. I think that they're doing quite well with that. Capcom's doing well. That's the vibe. Well done, Capcom. You're doing it. Capcom's yeah. approach to, to sequels is is pretty interesting. Like, I, I do like the way, in general, they've handled the Resident Evil series. Um, that There's always a reason behind a new Resident Evil. It's not just to piss around and do the same thing again well i mean they're kind of distinct games right but they do bring across characters from one to the next and they, they keep the consistency in the world uh and and the lore as such but they do treat each new resident evil as an opportunity to do something uh, significantly different because you know resident yeah. evil you've got you've got kind of three chapters i guess in the resident evil kind of story and that is resident evil zero through code veronica is kind of one era then you've yeah. got resident evil four five and six as the second era and then you've got seven and villages as, as kind of the new era but across all of that they've kept the consistency of those characters um there's the umbrella corporation is kind of like the umbrella evil which uh kind of is still evil <laughs> it doesn't matter <laughs> which which is really clever because it, it means that you've got a consistency in the antagonist within the game series as well but at the same time you can have something where you've got resident evil one and two which are set in kind of modern cities and and mansions and stuff all the way to resident evil village which has this kind of gothic atmosphere which is entirely different setting so the the whereas like it's it makes it into a game almost for the player like if you've played them previously it's like how are they going to involve umbrella whereas if yeah, you're and new, what's the relation reveal when umbrella is involved what's what's the relationship between them what you know what does this gothic village in the middle of europe have to do with events in the mansion in resident evil one you know the there is that the, the each sequel is additive to 
the overall, which I I do like. Um, Am I, I the only I one? I think it's which, pretty like, well managed. The movies, the movies ruined the experience for the games in terms of like the context and what they're trying to do. Like, the movies was all like, you know, here's a sterile world. You're like, and it's like all about what they're doing research and science wise, and you know, it seemed more fun and well, not fun, but it was like moving into really heavily onto the B grade campy style of the movies. And then just the games are just all this gothic horror, horror and stuff like that. And it's like, where's my, you know, where's my busting through walls to destroy the, you know. Have you played <laughs> the games, Trent? Yeah. Have you played the new ones? The, I the haven't g- played seven and, seven and eight, no. Yeah. Okay. When you play seven and eight, you'll understand why I'm asking you to think about that. <laughs> but it, it, it will be exactly what I want to. But seven, seven, and, seven to oh. eight is, seven to eight is a really interesting one even within that because you know seven is kind of that deep south texas chainsaw horror style um american gothic right and then eight is that more classical dracula style you know haunted it's more haunted town and yeah yeah so the fact that they feature the same main character right and actually do connect to each other in a way that it does feel authentic is Really impressive. It's also very satisfying. Yeah, it's re- the fact it's, it's really like done impressive. in a way that doesn't suck. <laughs> so, yeah, Resident, Resident Evil is a really good example of how to handle sequels over a long time, making sure that the games still stay relevant to the time and um, they can change. They have the, a know, similar they, game feel. Yeah, they, they can approach the games in a way that means that they continue to feel relevant without needing to completely you know, restart every time they start a new game. So yeah, exactly. I think it's quite neat. So, so I, I haven't played a Resident Evil game since like Resident Evil Six came out, and everyone was all about it's a draft fucking something or whatever. The like the whole like Bart Simpson Lisa thing for like you know the uh, Olympics logo, like that was like the big heavy thing about the game, and that's all I knew about the game, and I never knew anything about the actual game itself. Did you play it? No, I didn't play it, but I was turned off because of this weird giraffe thing the internet was going on about. I mean, Resident yeah. Evil 6 was the low point for the series by a long way. It was a terrible game. You say game. that, but it has some really good ideas that they've clearly been using in the remakes, and I really like that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of 5 or 6. Those are the two that kind of left me. But, 5 is really good, though. But even, but even then, I still accept that within the context of the overall series, they have a place to play, so... Um, yeah. I mean, the, the the downside to it is that Capcom has kind of locked themselves in. They basically have to make sure that every single one of those games is available on modern platforms. I, it's not it's not a problem for them. I guess they keep making money from them, but it it does mean that even though each of those games can be played separately, you do really want to play them all to get the full context of the series. You, you get more out of it, but yeah. you don't need to. Yeah, that, that that's what I'm, I guess I'm saying is you. You do benefit from playing them all, but you don't have to. Yeah. Also, 5 and 6 came out when the 3DS was a thing, and Revolutions was a much better game. Revolutions is, like, totally fine. Totally fine. No, it's, it's like... a reasonable game. game. They're they reasonable. Yeah. Nah, they're, they're only yeah, reasonable. They were, they were totally fine. Revelations like 2 was better, in my opinion, but it was fine. Street Fighter on the 3DS. It was, like you know, the pinnacle of 3D technology. See those blobby, like, goopy boys flipping around. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah.